So for the last few weeks, we've been taking a look at the church, talking about the things that matter and the things that don't. And when I say we're taking a look at the church, I'm not just simply talking about our church, but the church, the institution of the church. It has done some amazing things throughout history. It's also done some amazingly horrible things throughout history. And for lots of reasons, um, most people remember the latter. Um, Lots of people talk about the latter. And it's a challenge. It really is a challenge. But Jesus didn't come to talk about the mistakes of men. He came to talk about the goodness of God. And that's why when we say our purpose here is to help people find and follow Jesus, we really try to point everybody to him first and foremost. Because I'm going to mess up. You are going to mess up. I messed up this morning. All right? Ask Leslie. Um and so did you, but you don't want to, you know, talk about it kind of a thing. That, I mean, that's us. That's who we are. Uh, that's what this is all about. Um, uh, over uh, a couple of years ago, uh, the leaders of Edgewood uh, began to recognize that there was a significant uh, decline in church attendance. Uh, and it wasn't just here. It's everywhere across the country. Some statistics say that uh, about 10 to 12 years ago, the average uh, person who attended church attended more than three times a month. I know that seems weird when you say it like that, but they kind of computed it down to a, a, a decimal point kind of a thing. It's been cut in half to less than two times a month. Um, churches are closing at an alarming rate uh, I, I, if you read online, you just type in how many churches close annually. All right, you're gonna you're gonna get varying reports. Some people will say four thousand churches close annually. That's a conservative estimate. Some say that it's double that. People are going less and less, and churches are closing more and more. And so you take statistics like that, and you come in here and you say. We're trying, I mean, think about this. If, if you, if you put, shift it over to some kind of a business model, we're trying to grow a church at a time when people are going less and less and churches are closing more and more. That doesn't necessarily seem to make sense. If you survey people, it's interesting. People will say, oh, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, I just don't go to church. And when you say that to someone who's been going to church all their life, you get this kind of a reaction. (laughs) All right? Because that just doesn't seem possible. All right? But I would like to ask you a question. I'd like for you to consider something. Is it that people have left God? Or is it possible that they actually just left the church? That's a potent question. And it's something that we have to consider. And and, and when you begin to consider it, there are just a host 
of variables and understandings and misunderstandings and uh, agendas and uh, it, it really does become a challenge which is why we just want to focus on following Jesus, period. We talked uh, in the first week of our series about how uh, I, I, I shared with you, actually this was just a couple weeks ago, I shared with you the term post-Christian. That's a cultural term that says that people are no longer being influenced by uh, the teachings, the ministry, or the person of Jesus. And the challenge is becoming really, really obvious as to um, what it's really all about. Do you think that we could do church better? Or if that effort is futile, would you consider following Jesus better? When we're all said and done today, what I want to help you to understand is that where the church has been tried, there are lots of failures. But when Jesus is followed as faithfully and as humbly as one can possibly do so, there's enormous success. Enormous success. Our purpose is to help people find and follow Jesus, which is why the the titles of the messages have been... uh, we want, God wants relationships, not rituals. He wants followers, not fans. And today, I want us to understand that he wants believers, not necessarily just buildings. When it comes to building a church, there are a lot of challenges. There, there, there really, really are. And how do we grow it? How do we grow a church in an environment where people don't want to come? And how do we grow a church in an environment where people don't want to come using people who do come but mess everything up? All right? Think about it. Um, Just real quick survey. This is probably the hardest question I'm going to ask all day today. Who here is absolutely perfect? Flawless. Okay. Eric, we got one. Okay. Um, who here has uh, junk issues? Okay, half the people raise the other, the other half are lying. <laughs> right? So think about it. How do you grow a church where people who don't want to come because they, they recognize that lots of times we don't do things well and we're going to grow the church using people who don't do things well? The action is actually quite simple, believe it or not. And God's been give us, giving us examples of it and teachings of it for centuries. Are you ready for the answer? Change the environment. Change the environment. If you're sick, you can't get healthy where you got sick. You got to change your environment. One preacher I know said, you can't um, have a positive life when you've got a negative mind. And the real simple thing is, God knows how much we want to be whole. 
how much we want to be healthy, how much we want to let go of all of our junk and just, just live for him. Where there's hope and there's joy and there's peace. It's not perfect because none of us are and we don't live in a world that's perfect, but God's got a lot better ways. He really does. Each week I've talked about a conversation that Jesus had with people that was tantamount to a mic drop moment. This week is no different. Jesus is being challenged over and over. Last week he was being challenged by his own disciples. This week, uh, as in weeks past, I'm going to share with you a story about how he was challenged by the religious leaders. And that's who challenged him most often, really. Time after time, they were concerned that Jesus was going to, um, uh, not just yet, time after time, um, they were concerned that Jesus was going to change the rules, change God's rules. But in reality, they weren't worried necessarily about Jesus changing God's rules. They were worried about Jesus changing their rules. And that's where the rub comes. It's easy to point out when somebody else doesn't want to change. It's difficult to point out when we don't want to. That's the difficult part of things. No matter what endeavor, no matter what culture or what heritage, people resist change all the time. They saw Jesus changing everything. They were so afraid of what Jesus had changed and what they perceived he was going to change that they conspired to kill him. That's how much people can resist change. One of the first incidents that let the leaders know that this Jesus guy was going to be a problem is found in John chapter 2. John chapter 2 starts out this way. After he went down to Capernaum, after this he went down to Capernaum and his mother and brothers and sisters were with him. They stayed uh, there for a few days. And when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep and doves and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he took out a whip of cords and he drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and courts, uh, uh, overturned their tables. Uh, To those who sold doves, he said, get out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then responded to him. What sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all of this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it's taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. Jesus comes into town. He sees the people in the temple doing everything except worshiping and he just flat out goes off. Sheep, cattle, doves, tables, money, people, everybody scattered everywhere. And when the dust finally settles... 
the guys walk up to him and says, uh, can you tell us uh, why you think you've got the right to do this? Can you show us a sign? Now, uh, uh, the good thing is, is that John, who wrote this, explains uh, a lot of this to us. We might be left to find out, you know, wonder maybe what Jesus really was talking about, but John explains it for us. But he says at the very end of that section that there are a lot of really cool things that Jesus was doing. He was not a newcomer to Jerusalem, even though this is the very beginning of this gospel. So it's quite possible that there were some people in the temple that day that had seen some of the things that Jesus had done at the most, at the very least there were most assuredly were some people in the temple that day that had heard about Jesus, knew what he was doing. And so when uh, everything kind of goes uh, uh, crazy for a little bit, you know, it's a, a, a Jerry Springer moment kind of a thing going on. And, and, and suddenly they say, you know, they take advantage. Hey, it's this Jesus guy. Let's see what he's going to do. All right. They, uh, they ask him a question, and Jesus, he does this all the time. If, if you've read the stories, I encourage you, to, it's actually a quick read, uh, more than a week, but if you read the Gospels, the books in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those are the stories of Jesus' ministry while he was here. And Jesus has this really interesting way of answering questions that were never asked. Because he goes right to the heart of the matter. They thought they were just going to get a little bit of a sideshow. He goes right to the main event. You know, who gave you the authority to do this? Can you show us a sign about all this? And Jesus talks about a sign, but it's not the sign that they were thinking about. And he shows them absolutely nothing. Destroy this temple, and in three days, I'm going to raise it up. Now, John explains that he's talking about his body and it's in that moment that he changes the environment. He restores things back to what God always wanted us to do because he knows us. He knows sometimes we're weak-minded. We mean really, really well, but we get tired about things and, and there are lots of times in our lives where we'll choose the easy over the difficult. He knows that about us. Verse 22 says this, After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scriptures and what was written about him. They asked about authority. Jesus spoke of power. They were concerned about buildings. Jesus is concerned about believers. The temple, you see, before we judge those leaders and the people too harshly, listen, uh, there's probably not a person in here that hasn't been in a church where they met someone who was more concerned about the carpet than the health and the faith of the kids who spilled something on it. It happens anywhere and everywhere. And that doesn't mean that we allow kids to, or even adults for that matter, to just, you know, run havoc over things. It means that every once in a while we need to remember the things that matter and let go of the things that don't. And we're no different than those who were standing in front of this ancient temple. 
See, the temple was really sacred to the Jewish people. But would you believe me if I told you that it wasn't necessarily sacred to God? Would you believe me if I told you that in the beginning, God really didn't want a temple? The temple was where God stayed when he was in town. And I say it that way because God wasn't always present in the physical sense. God, as was his custom, was and is very different. In the book Irresistible, Andy Stanley brings up some really interesting points about the history of the people of God. Remember, uh, I told you that the church is comprised of people who mess things up, like you and me and everybody else, even people who aren't here. Starting from the beginning, the people who worship God seem to assume things about God. They get ahead of God. They say what God never said and more. It's happened in any and every generation. In the Old Testament book of 2 Samuel, there's a recounting of how the idea of the temple came up. Read with me, 2 Samuel chapter 7. After King David was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am living in a house of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it. For the Lord is with you. Was he? That night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David. This is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? Think, I just want you to think about that. Don't look at the... Uh, think, consider this. We want to build a church for the creator of the universe, who always has been, always will be, is all-powerful, all-knowing, and ever-present. How satisfactory do you think the edifice will be? Think about that. Okay? Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers, whom I commanded, by the way, to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? God never said that. And there's a really good reason. And we're going to get to that. Nathan was a prophet of God, but he spoke ahead of God. He wasn't the first, and he won't be the last. God eventually allowed Solomon, the son of King David, to build a temple when he became king. But that's not what God wanted from the beginning. God is not containable. He is always moving. And over and over again, we understand that he's spirit. It's, not some, it's something that we get and we don't get at the exact same time. It's something that we understand, but we have a hard time understanding it in totality. We do. 
He's not limited by the walls of a building or the shape of an image. Every other nature, nation and culture built a temple to their God. And you know what they did when they built the temple? There was a sacred room for that temple. And in that sacred room, they would construct and place an image of their God. Do you know in the temple of Israel, there were two main rooms? If you want to consider this the temple or a replica of it, um, it, this was a dividing wall. And the wall really was a big, heavy curtain. And this room over here was called the holy place. And this place right here was called the holy of holies. And do you know what was in the temple of the holy of holies? Some of you are going to say the ark. And yeah, I get that. But the ark was never the image of God. There was never an image of God in the temple, ever. Because that's not what God wanted. Every other nation built a temple to God. And is David now proposing the building of a temple so Israel can be like everyone else? We're not supposed to be like everyone else. By the way that we live and the way that we love, there are lots of things that Christians do that don't make sense to lots of other people. There are lots of things that the people of God do that don't make sense to other people. And that, quite honestly, is one of the things that's good. We love people that aren't necessarily lovable. We help people that others don't want to help. We tell people, it's never too late to be the person God's always wanted you to be. Is David now saying we need to build a temple so that we can be like everybody else? That's how they got their first king, by the way. There was a prophet named Samuel, and um, the people of Israel came to Samuel and said, we want a king. We want to be like other nations. They have their king, and when their king stands up, he fights for them. We want a king so that he will fight for us. They forgot that God was always fighting for them. They just forgot. Because just just because you don't see a battle going on doesn't mean there isn't one going on. Now they wanted a temple so they can say, look, our God lives here. But they forgot. God can't be contained and won't be. When Solomon finished building the temple, God had a message for him. I want you to listen to what God said. 1 Kings chapter 9. As for you, If you walk before me faithfully with integrity of heart and uprightness as David your father did and do all I command to observe my decrees and laws, I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever as I promised promised David your father when I said you shall never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. But if you or your descendants turn away from me, And do not observe the commands and decrees I have given you and go off to serve other gods and worship them. Then I will cut off Israel from the land I have given them and I will reject this temple. The most important word in what I just read to you is if. 
if. There were lots of promises in the Old Testament that were conditional. God's going to do a lot of things, but it was conditional on the faithfulness of whether the people who said they would follow God actually followed God. Solomon is known uh, reputationally as the wisest man that ever lived. He started out great, but he did not end well. Guys, do you know that Solomon had 700 wives? 700. 700. Now, most of these women were the daughters of uh, neighboring uh, uh, kings or kings from other nations distantly that wanted to have some kind of a relationship, usually an economic relationship with Israel. And so they would send their daughters on to do that. When, they, when the girls came, uh, they missed their church, if you will. They missed their temples. They missed the gods that were in their temples. And so what would they do? <laughs> Solomon! All right, they, they, you know, she would give each queen would give Solomon the business, and he'd say, "Okay, I'll build you a temple," and build temples he did, one after another, after another, after another, after another, after another. Pretty soon, the temples in Israel were kind of like Dunkin' Donuts franchises; they were everywhere, all offering the same menu. And while the temple of Israel used to be, the temple of God in Israel used to be special, after a while, it became just another temple to just another God. And God said, see ya. In a few hundred years, that temple in all its glory was utterly destroyed by an invading army. And when I say destroyed, there was not one stone left on top of another. And the invading army took the remaining people that were in Israel away as captives. About a hundred years later, God's people returned to Israel and rebuilt the temple. But the temple that they built didn't even compare to the glorious one that Solomon had built. And they commented on that. It went through upgrades and remodels and eventually the same issues that brought down the first temple brought down the temple that Jesus was standing right in front of when he decided to make a big scene. What was funny is his answer still remained. The temples fell But Jesus' answer, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up, still remained. John helped us to understand that Jesus was talking about his body. Jesus was referring to what he would do to change the environment. The environment was literally people putting God in a box. You see, if you and I can put God in a box then we tell God what power he does and does not have. We are in charge. And that's exactly why God didn't want temples.
because then we get to say what happens. Did you hear the question that the people asked Jesus? Even though it was modified with a request, the bottom line was this. The bottom line question was this. Who do you think you are? They were standing in front of the temple of God whose son was standing in front of them. And they're saying, we built this house. We decide what goes on here. And so begins the destruction of every group of believers who lose their focus. It's exactly why God never wanted a building. He wants faithful believers. It wasn't just the temple where Jesus encountered this. He encountered the same mindset when he met a woman at a well while traveling. He began to talk to her, and it wasn't too long before she realized that there was something very different about this man. When her less than wholesome past concerning her multiple marriages became the topic of discussion, she changed the topic. John chapter 4 says this, Sir, I can see you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. Salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come environment change. And has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit. And his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. She changes the topic to something that no one likes to talk about. Religion. And Jesus, in speaking to this woman gently, but nevertheless directly, ignores the argument about where worship is to take place and moves straight on to how worship takes place. Why does he do that? Because like I said, the environment's about to change. Forever. The worshipers God is looking for worship in spirit and truth. They worship God who is spirit and believe the truth about God's Son. That's the target. That's the target, guys. It's actually quite simple. We make it a lot harder than it is. They believe just like the woman in the story believed. She was so amazed with Jesus, she went back to her village and told everyone about him. The people of her village, listen to this, they came out to meet him and they believe. Don't you see? When people meet Jesus, the real Jesus, things change. Noticeably so. People aren't coming to church because they're like that woman at the well before she met Jesus. 
They believe some people go to church here and others go to church there and nothing really changes. Nothing really changes because there are places where Jesus isn't. But where Jesus is, there's life. And where there's life, there's hope. And where there's hope, there's movement. And where there's movement, there's energy. And where there's energy, it cannot be contained. Believers change the environment. Believers talk about what God has done for them. Believers are happy and they're grateful. Believers know the world is a hard place where people can be ruthless and life can be pointless. But they believe in Jesus who said, I've overcome the world. Believers change their environment because God has changed them. So, it's time for us to change our environment. It's time. Next week, when you come here, you will not be coming to Edgewood Church of Christ. We're changing our name to Cross Point Church starting next week. Right now, some of you are going, What just happened? We're changing our name because we've been hindered by who we were. If you ask me, I can give you the names and the faces of people who are sitting right here who have invited folks to come to church, but when they say the name Church of Christ, there's an immediate resistance. In our area, there are memories of people who attended the Boston Church of Christ. And if people don't know about the Boston Church of Christ, there are people who have been to these places, and I'm going to tell you right now, sometimes those experiences haven't been good. And some of you who have been going to the Church of Christ for decades have begun to experience those very things. And you know what we can't do? We can't start in the negative. We can't. It's hard enough when people are coming less and less and churches are closing more and more. We've been hindered by who we were. And frankly, we're no longer who we were. We're not the same people that we were just two years ago. We've let a lot of things go and we're going to let a lot more go because we have to reflect not the things that we like but the Savior that we love and talk about the things that he's done for us over and over and over and over again because when Jesus shows up, people change. And we're getting ready for who we're going to be. Our mission will always be that we are helping people to find and follow Jesus. This name references uh, the idea that we're just a stone's throw from the crossing point of 495 and I-95. But metaphorically, this is the place where people will cross from despair to hope, from bondage to freedom, and from death to life. This is the cross point. I'm not done. In March, we're going to be adding another service. 
We're starting two services. I have told you in the past that we were going to wait a little bit more before we filled up, but we can't wait. We can't wait. People are dying. People are giving up. But we live in a world that has its priorities completely and totally upside down. They can't decide whether to go to a soccer game or speak to the God who loves them. And listen, I understand. I get it. I've lived that life. I know what it's like to have three kids and a football game and a soccer game and a chorus concert and this and that. And I got to fit, I got to fit 40 hours of activity in a 24-hour day. It just doesn't work. And so when a church says, I'm sorry, the only time we want to talk to you about God is once a weekend, we're not going to do that anymore. We're just not going to do that. It's going to be a challenge on us. We're going to be really tired, but we will be so happy. We will be so grateful because people will be coming who now can say, hey, listen, I can't come. I've got a game at 1030. Great. We got a service at nine. And after we do that, we might add another. I don't know. I don't know where this is going to end. What I do know is we're not going to stop creating opportunities for people to come and find and follow Jesus. That's all we're going to do. Now, I got some things that I need to tell you about. In the weeks to come, I'm going to be asking you to, and, and here's our principle. Some of you can do this and some of you can't. But those of you that can, our principle is this. Sit one, serve one. Serve at one, sit at another. It's going to work out really, really well. But grab the duct tape and tape yourselves aboard because we're going for a ride. Okay? God changed our environment. It's time for us to change with it and make this all happen. Jesus wasn't really worried about a temple because God wasn't worried about a temple because God was more concerned about our hearts and our souls. Temples are static buildings that just sit there and they stay there. Believers go anywhere to anyone at any time using any means possible. We leave this place and the light goes on. That's who we are. This is our crossing point. God, thank you so much. Thank you for helping us. Thank you for being patient with us. Thank you for loving us. God, we love you and we're so grateful, but sometimes we get ahead of you. We go places you didn't want us to go and we do things you never wanted us to do. But we remember what you've done. We can't forget, Lord, you, your temple, your body was broken for us. It was, you were killed for our sin. And when we remember what we do when we take communion, God, we remember the gift that we have and the hope that we have. And we know there are people who are, are tired of church, but they can never be tired of you. Lord, we know there are people that sometimes don't understand, but sometimes that may be because of us, because we don't understand. 
Forgive us, God. Help us to be faithful. Help us to be encouraging. Help us to be happy, grateful for the hope and the life that we have. So God, as we make this change and as we go forward, Lord, there are going to be a lot of bumps in the road. But you are the one who makes the roads straight, who makes the rough places smooth. Over and over again, we worry about things that never come to pass because you bless us so much. So God, we're excited. We can't wait to see what you're going to do. You've blessed us over and over. And the windfall that is coming by your spirit is going to be so good that we just won't be able to shut up. God, thank you for Edgewood. Thank you for all she's done over all the years. The difficulties she's lived through, the favor she has granted. Thank you for the hope that she's given. But because of the attacks and because of the uh, burdens of men, we're going to leave one ship and go to another. The one that you've prepared for us, the one that you've been pointing us to for so long. God, we can take a big sigh of relief and go forward knowing that you bless and you give and you guide and we love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.